0: Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of All Together Now, at Beatles podcast. You may recall from the last podcast that Aaron and I were going to review the Beatles authorized biography by Hunter Davies, but Aaron was unable to obtain the book in time for this podcast. Our next choice was Apple to the Core, but in this case, it was I who was unable to access the book, although I had read it many years ago. Since it is the intent of our podcast to review books which both of us have read, this posed a slight dilemma, but one easily rectified by copious notes about the book which Aaron emailed me. Problem solved, and onward to the review of the 1972 Apple to the Core by Peter McCabe and Robert D. Schoenfeld. Peter McCabe was an English author and music journalist with Rolling Stone and We Magazine, as well as the author of several investigative reporting works and several novels. Unfortunately, not much is known about McCabe's co-author Robert Schoenfeld, other than he co-authored Apple to the Core and another book authored by Peter McCabe, John Lennon, For the Record. This podcast is our longest to date at 90 minutes, which we're going to provide to you in two segments. We hope you enjoy them.
1: This was one that I, in particular, wanted to do really from the moment that Karen came up with the idea for this podcast. I think Apple to the Core is a critically important book in Beatles historiography, but one that in part because it's been out of print for decades and is therefore somewhat difficult to access, I believe that its influence has somewhat flown under the radar, particularly in the present day. But having reread the book, I read it first for my own book, and then a second time in preparation for this podcast, I came away even more convinced of the importance and the influence of this book. And that matters because if you look at books from the 70s, this is a book that is published in 72, as Karen mentioned, which means it's really only published four years after the authorized biography. Now, obviously, a great deal has changed in those four years. Mm -hmm. But that means it's a very early book in the band's historiography. And that consequently means that authors that post-date 1972 are going to tend to look to earlier books for their own research. That's simply how historiography works. And so in significant part, because McCabe and Sean Felt's Apple to the Core comes so early on in the arc of Beale's historiography, you can look at other authors in the 70s like Schaffner or in the 80s like Norman or Coleman or in the 90s up to Ian MacDonald, and you can see references or allusions to evidence that is contained in Apple to the Core. Now, a lot of those books don't contain citations, so you have to be familiar with Apple to the Core to know where they're getting the information they're using, these other secondary works. But if you do know Apple to the Core, then you know the origin of where some of these quotes and some of this trial information is coming from. But again, because of its rarity and because of its scarcity, fewer people have had the opportunity to actually go to the original secondary source, which is apple to the core. Spoiler alert. I just told you what sort of source it is. (laughs) (laughs) And examine it as a whole and examine it in context and categorize it the way that we're going to do. So again, I think it's a fascinating book because it has a lot of evidence and quotations in particular. Again, McCabe and Schoenfeld were investigative journalists that you do not get elsewhere, but it hasn't really been examined methodologically, except maybe in a few other places. I do believe the Beatles annotated bibliography discusses it. And certainly I discuss it in my book. Doggett has a few comments on Apple to the core. Mm-hmm. And I'm drawing a rough blank on exactly what they are. I think he generally argues that it's a book that suffers from its time frame. Yeah. But yeah. To, to deal with the categorizations. So we'll mix it up a little bit because we don't want to get into a rut with always going in the same order. And we don't have to go in the same order. So for this book, I'd like to start with what is the most significant and I regard as the most important of the categories, and that is chronology. This is a book that cannot be analyzed outside of its immediate chronology, of its immediate time period, and I don't just mean the 1970s. I mean the breakup period, 1971, 1972. This is a book that you could conclude would draw significantly different interpretations and conclusions on key issues if it were published even a year and a half later because Mm -hmm. real life events are going to unfold within a year of the publication of this book that are going to significantly undermine some of the basic conclusions of its authors. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So that's just one area where chronology is key. Uh, Mm -hmm. Second, This is a book that is written, investigated and published at the peak of the time period where we have a schism in popular culture and in politics as well between the counterculture and the establishment. And this is encompassing culture in the United States as well as significant aspects of culture and politics in England. And this is important because this is identified in the book As one of the key reasons that the band is splitting up, it is identified by Alan Klein repeatedly as the reason that they do not win the trial. And it also adds an element to the authorial interpretations and also to some of the statements that we get in this time period. Third, this is an area. Where, again, timing is crucial because this is coming in a time period where we have a very disproportionate of primary sources and interviews with one side of the split and significantly fewer interviews with the other side of the split. The ratio, as I understand it, is if you include John Lennon and Yoko Ono, as well as Alan Klein, they have five interviews that they give for every one interview Paul McCartney gives in this same time period. And Mm -hmm. it appears to be that this was a deliberate choice by McCartney or that it was the result of the depression and the circumstances he found himself in following the Beatles breakup. But the reality is that you have a massive influx of information coming from side A of the split, and a very insignificant amount of information coming from the second side of the split. And because McCabe is doing these interviews in 1971, this is the time period where Paul is not generally giving interviews at all, you have a very imbalanced book where you have interviews with John, Yoko, and Klein. You have conversations and really cameos from George Harrison and Ringo Starr. So that's one side of the split. And then on the other side of the split, the person you have in this book representing Paul's version of events is John Eastman.
0: So in November of 91, Paul was interviewed by New Musical Express, and he talked a lot about, he, he did discuss the breakup, and that actually started, I guess, this feud in in. NME me between Paul and John, and John responded and talked about, you know, you forgetting the tax issues we had and that, that 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 that, which kind of all kind of said to me that you know Paul wasn't entirely incommunicado during that period. So if Paul was interviewed by NME, mm-hmm. I I wonder why McCabe wouldn't have like I I didn't think he was in a, he was not accessible. Maybe he wasn't into the sort of full-blown, you know, PR train that that John was on, but I wonder why McCabe didn't access him more and whether that just reflected his own bias versus
1: Paul's lack
0: of availability.
1: Well, I'm going into it with the assumption, and I don't have evidence for, for or against this, that McCabe attempted to interview McCartney and was shot down. So... What I see going on there is again you have this imbalance, and again the author did, I am assuming, attempt to interview McCartney and get that aspect of the split, but he was not. But he able. never
0: said. He never said, right? He never indicated that he couldn't that get.
1: No, not not yeah. in the book. It may be in an interview that I have forgotten mm-hmm. or somewhere else, but I did not see mm-hmm. a reference to him reaching out to Paul McCartney in the book. Mm-hmm. You do have is John Eastman arguing Paul's version of the split in the book. And there are two issues with this. And the first is that Eastman, because of when he enters the band story in 1968, can only address with any authority the business and legal disagreements. So any of the personal disagreements regarding Paul in the studio or with John and George in areas that John Eastman was not privy to or did not witness, he doesn't really have the authority to counteract those. Mm -hmm. And the other issue is that one of the main arguments that Klein is making in this time period is that Paul is being misled and manipulated by the Eastman's. And he says it in a variety of ways. He says it in a variety of interviews, but one of the things he declares is that once Paul learned to think for himself Then he will be welcomed back to the rest of the Beatles, again, Klein claims, with open arms. But he has to break free of the Eastman's manipulation. So it's interesting to me that you have this claim repeatedly coming from Klein that Paul, in a way, is a sort of puppet whose strings are being controlled by the Eastman's. And we don't have Paul's actual voice in this book. Who do we have giving Paul's version of events? John yeah. Eastman. So it would implicitly seem to reinforce that argument that Klein is making. That is the Eastman family who are really the power behind the throne and increasing the enmity of this feud. So those are just a couple of the aspects of Eastman being chosen as Paul's representative to give interviews for this book and, In the conclusions of the author, he appears to regard the Eastman's as the instigators of the aggression between the Eastman's and Alan Klein. So it doesn't really appear to work out very well for John Eastman that he gave these interviews and presented Paul's version of events. Mm -hmm. And looking back over the arc of Beatles historiography, we do not have that many interviews with John Eastman on Paul McCartney and the Beatles split. I think we Mm -hmm. have fewer than 10 total interviews which is staggering considering the information he could tell us mm-hmm. and that he yeah. must be privy to, but he just does not give that many interviews.
0: So so Peter McCabe interviewed directly interviewed Klein. These are not secondhand interviews. He actually did interview him. These are direct quotes. Yes. From and and- Klein. And and direct, he directly interviewed Eastman. And yet the fact that Eastman represented Paul is considered sort of a negative, but Klein representing himself and the other Beatles is not considered a negative. Like, in other words, McCabe made an assumption about Klein or Eastman's um, representation here and cast it in a really nefarious way, but yet didn't do the same thing for Ellen Klein.
1: Well, McCabe, I want to be clear, didn't make that implication. Klein made that implication and... I
0: got you. Okay. He was just stating what... Klein was
1: suggesting yes. okay yeah. yes it's a conclusion again that you can draw because of what Klein is saying and you don't have John Eastman on the other side saying well mm. Klein is manipulating John Lennon but you right. do have mm-hmm. Klein saying once the Eastman's let go of Paul McCartney, once he learns to think for himself, once he breaks free of John and Lee Eastman, as well as Linda Eastman, then a reunion might be possible. Mm-hmm. So what were you going to say? Sorry, I, I, I try not to
0: ask you questions to make you jump around too much, but I just had a note here um, just to ask you if there's a bibliography at the end, which included... You know all the the interviews that he gave, uh, or that he sought out, that McCabe sought from the principals. Was there? Because we know from the book that there's Klein and there's Eastman, but did he give a kind of complete list? No. Of who, no.
1: No. There there are no list of the people. There is no list of the people he approached, the people who rejected him, the people who approved. There is right. no context really given regarding the date that the interviews are done. In mm. some areas, McCabe's methodology is decent to good. For example, when he takes material from something like the authorized biography, then he will have a footnote on the bottom mm. of the page saying this information came from the authorized biography. Or oh, a yeah, And even that in the early 1970s is impressive because so few authors did that up through even the end of the 1980s. And you do have some documentation towards the end of the book. But no, you don't have the dates the interviews are given. You don't have any of that material, which Mm -hmm. is always helpful for the researcher and for the reader.
0: Yeah. One more question. Sorry, one more question. Did he... Did McCabe um, look into Klein's other um, clients for example did he did he interview Mick or and the stones
1: to get a he sense of Klein's feelings there I'm sorry. He, did not, he did not have interviews with the stones okay. in Apple to the core okay so he did note in a sentence or two, some of the disagreements going on regarding Klein and the stones, but it did not receive extensive attention by any measure. Mm -hmm. But one of the other areas with chronology is the reality that, again, these are interviews that are being given in 1971, which is the single most agenda driven year in Beatles historiography in terms of, financial agendas, emotional agendas, reputational agendas, and political and legal agendas. The legal agenda in particular here is something that everyone needs to remember. Whenever they're reading quotes from 1970, 1971, the reality is that both sides of the breakup have lawyers whispering in their ear, telling them, you can't say this, or avoid saying something to this effect. And Mm -hmm. in some cases it doesn't work because Paul references John's Lennon remembers comments at the trial that the Beatles are done and that they're never getting back together again. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And (laughs) notes how that contradicts what he's saying in his, in his trial. Yeah, Yeah. In his testimony. Yeah. Right. But the reality of those agendas is something to keep in mind that, particularly in this year, in 1971, you have very, very extensive legal and financial reasons for the Beatles to say things or not to say things. And that's why Klein's major argument that the main problem is not with Paul, it is with the Eastmans, is an interesting one, because that buttresses what he says at the trial. That the Beatles are not fundamentally broken. And if Paul would simply learn to think for himself, and this comes from the Vetter interview in November 1971, and extract himself from the Eastman's, then there is a possibility of reunion. And that's the message that is getting hammered home to an extent in 1971 and 1972. Mm-hmm. So the other aspect of that when we're dealing with this chronology is also to remember that when we're dealing with the relationships among the four Beatles, and particularly John, George, and Ringo on one side of the split and Paul with the other, if you drew a line to represent the Beatles' relations among the four of them, then 1971 would absolutely be the lowest point of that line regarding the other three's relationship with Paul McCartney what you can't do as another secondary author or as a reader is take this sample of interviews from this brief, heavily agenda driven time period. Again, the worst period of relations among the three of them with Paul and then extrapolate that out among the entirety of their relationship. Yeah. Because we know we see in history and All of us have experienced that relationships ebb and flow and you have to account for the greater scope of the relationship and not just the lowest point or the highest point. And we see examples of this in American history. The classic example in early American history is John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. They were very good friends when they were working on the Declaration of Independence and in the Revolutionary Period. Then they had a schism for a variety of personal and primarily political reasons. They waged nasty, nasty presidential campaigns against one another in 1796 and 1800. Not personally, because in that point in time, politicians did not personally campaign for their position if they were president, but they had proxies who did it for them. And those proxies, those newspaper editors, they got really, really nasty. But then, after enough time had gone by, after both of them were no longer president anymore, they started writing to one another, and they reconciled, and ironically enough, they died on the 4th of July on the same day, 50 years after the signing of the Declaration Mm. of Independence. Mm. So you can't take one sliver of time of that relationship, the worst period or the best period, and then use it as the sample of this is representative of the entirety of their relationship, the same way you can't take 1971 and say this is representative of the entirety of Paul McCartney's relationships with the other three Beatles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are the areas of chronology to deal with. Did you have any questions you wanted nope. to ask? Nope. You can continue. Nope. Okay. So the second place we were going to go was subcategory. And as Karen hinted at, the reality is that there really aren't that many books that deal exclusively with The Breakup. And so the obvious comparison here is Peter Doggett's You Never Give Me Your Money. And that is a book that is published in 2009. So obviously that is a very significant chronological gap space of time between the publication of Apple to the Core in 72 and You Never Give Me Your Money in 2009. Doggett benefits immensely from that passage of time. He has a level of historical distance that McCabe, again, because he's writing in the context of the actual breakup and in the immediate aftermath of the trial that McCabe simply does not have access to. And so both are extremely valuable. Both have their negatives and both have their positives. That's the most obvious parallel. The other area where you would find a subcategory of breakup era books at this time, there's an excellent essay by Michael Fontani, and I believe it's the Cambridge Companion to the Beatles, or it's the Cambridge Companion to Pop and Rock. Sorry, I can't narrow it down any further than that. And his essay is called The Solo Years, and he deals with some of these areas, but obviously it's an essay So it's not nearly as extensive or as in-depth as what you get from McCabe or certainly as what you get from Doggett. Mm -hmm. Did you have anything to add, Karen? Nope. Okay. So as I spoiled already, this is a secondary source. And it is the work of an investigative journalist, which rather quickly becomes evident as you go through the book. This is a book that is very heavily reliant on interviews, as I mentioned before. Now, those interviews tend to be agenda-driven, and part of the problem is some of them are unverifiable. And this is an issue that we get in particular with some of the comments that come from (laughs) Nat Weiss, and I don't want to go too far afield, but Nat Weiss has various things to say regarding things that Brian Epstein told him. And of course the issue there is that Brian has been dead since 1968. So you have secondhand statements that can't be proven when you have Nat Weiss saying, well, Brian told me this, or Brian said this. And I don't know what the responsibility is of the journalist in this situation. Weiss does not categorize The evidence he gets he generally just offers it up to the reader and lets the reader accept it or reject it without specifying this is verified this is not this is hearsay this is eyewitness testimony all of those particular elements Mm -hmm. and that's one of the weaknesses of apple to the core so those are the issues when you're dealing with source type and regarding narrative, this is absolutely a major contributor to the solidification of the Lenin Remembers narrative. Now, it doesn't deal so much with the greater genius slash who brought more to the table element. He does mention it towards the end of the book. And he also says you could argue that to the end of time, which I do agree with. Yeah. <laughs> And I regard it as a waste of time. But in regards to the breakup, certainly the interpretations that McCabe draws and the conclusions that McCabe draws. And again, this goes back to how chronology is key in regarding this particular book. Appear to be that, number one, the primary blame for the split falls on Paul McCartney's shoulders. And the reason for this is his refusal to accept Alan Klein as Beatles manager and to further that the evidence indicates that according to McCabe Paul's refusal to accept Klein is at best selfish and irrational at worst it is a rejection of the counterculture it's snobbish it's invited by nepotism regarding the connections of the Easton family, and therefore, it's morally wrong, and that's certainly an underlying current of McCabe's work, this conclusion of his that underlies a lot of his interpretations and his conclusions, that the counterculture is morally good and the establishment is morally bad.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So that's a baseline understanding that goes with his interpretations. Again, because of the time period we're dealing with, that really it, influences a lot of the things he says.
0: And Aaron, that—that's what—that was one of my major um, irritations and objections with with McCabe, is that all he had to do was interview Alan Klein's other clients, especially the Stones, who are at that point dealing with. A lot of Klein's chicanery.
1: Well, there are two individuals in the book who are heavily negative of Alan Klein. And the first, unsurprisingly, is John Eastman. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because Eastman states in at least two different places that he believes that Alan Klein does not regard him as intelligent. There's a quote towards the end of the book where Eastman is celebrating essentially having read the trial saying Klein assumed I didn't have a brain in my head and that Paul was a chicken shit. Mm. And that is why Klein believed we would not go through with the trial. And there's another quote in another part of the book where Eastman again implies that Klein did not perceive John Eastman as intelligent. And it appears that that got under John Eastman's skin. So this is not just professional disdain from John Eastman to Alan Klein and Alan Klein regarding John Eastman and Lee Eastman. (laughs) This has a personal edge to it that is absolutely real. And I'm not sure whether he attempted to interview yeah. the students and simply was denied access. Again, I'm assuming like he tried to interview Paul and was denied access.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But that is a a good point that we do have other clients of clients who were disgruntled and for legitimate reasons in various cases, but that's not something that McCabe focuses on. Mm -hmm. What What you do have, again, to go back just a little bit regarding the Lenin Remembers narrative and how this is a book that advocates it, one of the other areas you see that in is in its assessment of Linda. Linda McCartney does not come off well in this book which was pretty standard for that time period. Mm-hmm.
0: You have sexist. Holy cow.
1: There are various representations of her as a groupie. That is a term that is used, groupie repeatedly. Mm-hmm. You have comments implying that she is a bad mother, that her daughter Heather had to take care of herself from an early mm-hmm. age. Mm-hmm. You have a number of friends of Linda's, that she left behind in New York, including Lillian Roxton, who actually writes a blurb for the back of the book. Mm -hmm. And many of those individuals felt left behind. And Mm -hmm. there is an argument to be made, and I'm not implying that everything negative that is said about Linda or Paul by these individuals is illegitimate. I am saying that score settling does happen in history. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the book that I talked about on the last podcast, Lincoln's Boys, talks about this very same issue regarding Abraham Lincoln, of all people, that Mm -hmm. when the first biographies started to be written about Lincoln, and this is after his death, after he has been murdered, you had some biographers going back to Springfield, and there were some people in Springfield who believed that they had not received their due attention, or perhaps they had expected patronage appointments for their support of Lincoln. And the author of Lincoln's Boys argues there may have been some score settling going on with some of the comments they made Mm -hmm. regarding Lincoln to some of these early biographers. Mm -hmm. So we can't prove it, because obviously you can't see inside someone's Mm -hmm. head. But the reality is that score settling does exist and we know that linda's friends felt abandoned and neglected that she went to london and basically cut off correspondence with them
0: and so, my point with that aaron would be why does it matter why would the cave <laughs> spend one nanosecond looking at linda except for the fact that she's an eastman
1: Again, because of the implication that the Eastmans are controlling Paul. That to a certain extent, he is a puppet of theirs. And he is absolutely making the wrong choices, according to Klein. Mm -hmm. But he is also being led down this path by the Eastmans Mm -hmm. and by Linda. But Mm -hmm. regarding the score settling, there are some areas where you can make a various obvious argument that information is being left out regarding because one of the comments that comes from McCabe is that according to all of the New York friends of Linda that he interviewed, they all agreed that she was not a good photographer. The problem with that line is that number one, as most people listening to this podcast will know, this was the woman who had the first Rolling Stone cover by a female photographer. And number two was the 1967 AP Female Photographer of the Year. And both of those facts are left out by McCabe. So you have the comments from the friends that Linda is not a good photographer, but you don't have actual factual evidence that is used to counteract that. Mm -hmm. So those are some pretty massive omissions regarding... Again, Linda as a photographer, Linda as a mother, mm-hmm. and various other issues going on. But absolutely, when it comes to the depiction of Linda, it is it is a Lenin remembers narrative argument that you are mm-hmm. getting from McCabe.
0: That concludes part one of our review of Apple to the Core by Peter McCabe and Robert Schoenfeld. In part two, we examine the events which lead up to Paul McCartney's court case and Judge Stamp's final decision.